Company Watch Financial Analytics. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch Coronavirus Podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. We are recording today's episode at lunchtime on Friday, the 7th of May. Um, Our big piece, I suppose, of this week is the Bank of England Monetary Policy Committee report, which was released yesterday. And it actually it it formed two parts. There's there's quite a a hefty 50 page report and the, the minutes and the report is something that's published periodically. I confess I have not read every single word of the 50-page report, but we will we will publish a link to it. Um, the minutes are interesting as as always, and we'll we'll pour over those. Um, and we also wanted to to tie this in, and you'll see why, because we have some some concerns about the the way the Monetary Policy Committee is is presenting things. Um, we wanted to tie this into some of the consultations on insolvency measures that have been launched by the government. We picked up on some of that last week and we'll talk a little bit more about that um, this week. And also, again, some some figures. We've got Chart Institute of Purchasing and Supply. Um, There's some interesting kind of index messages about um, Outlook. Um, And if we have time, and we always, time is never our side, we might have a look at some of the ONS um, stats. But if we don't, we promise that that's something to tune in for next week if we don't quite make it to, to this week. So, Nick, MPC. What are your your headlines? Well, my headline is firm messaging that we are now in boom time. We're in boom time. Absolutely no mention, uh, certainly not in the media coverage, nor frankly in the messaging direct from the Bank of England about the bust that went before and the scarring that might come out of this, Mm. this whole process. But looking at the numbers, uh, we'll come back to the sentiment, but looking at the numbers, uh, the uh, MPC is now predicting that the GDP growth in 2021 will be 7.25%, which is up from 5% as recently as their February forecast. And uh, that rate of growth would be the fastest since either the year I was born, 1948, if you listen to one media outlet, or 1941, if you've listened to another one. Um, But anyway, it's clearly a startling uh, increase. They attribute it, unsurprisingly, to the success of the vaccine rollout and the easing of restrictions. Mm -hmm. Um, They also, we're we're back to this chat, um, which was started by Andy Haldane, about all this extra savings that we've all built up. And I think listeners will know that we have a view that uh, uh, that extra saving is actually in the hands of the wrong sector of society that Mm. won't spend it. And the people that would like to spend it don't actually have it. So there's a a credit risk, a credit uh, card, personal debt risk going on there. Anyway, um, the bank is now estimating that the, uh, the pot of potential spending is 200 billion. But, and I think quite rightly, um, note of caution here, they don't expect more than 10% of that to be spent in 2021. So we're talking about 20 billion boost to consumer spending, um, which is not quite the 120 billion that Andy Hordain was talking about before he decided to leave the bank. Um, Although he's there there until June, we should say. And actually, we might come back to Andy Hordain. But anyway, just looking at a tiny bit at the detail, um, the fall in Q1 2021 is now, uh, they're now suggesting may only be 1.5%. Uh, 
They're looking at a sharp rise in the current quarter, Q2. That'll be interesting. And uh, looking further ahead, the prediction is that GDP will grow strongly again in 2022 by 5.75%, but then fall back in 2023 to 1.25%, which could reflect the ongoing uh, issues over Brexit. We'll wait for more analysis of that. Yeah, I mean, it's still too early. I think on the Brexit, um, the, the figures are still a bit too early to say yeah. kind of what the what the effects are. And that was that goes back to the um, the piece in the Times. I think that we mentioned um, last week. That's worth a read if if people haven't read it. It's interesting. The thing I picked up as well on this um, this part. And it, it's a really interesting read, but it, you, you do kind of bounce, you have to read the whole thing to really get the, the sense of exactly what the committee is saying, because very towards the end of the piece, um, there's a note that says the committee judged that the risks to their central projection of UK GDP were skewed to the downside um, in the first year of the forecast um, period, because, yep. you know, who knows what's going to happen with the pandemic, although it's obviously great news with the um, with the vaccine. You know, there are still, still risks around there. And it's, and it's interesting that they acknowledge that there is actually the downside risk um, is quite significant. I think the other thing that I picked up on the, on the GDP point was the comparison to euro area GDP and US GDP. So we're we're looking um, at I think we're saying that in Q1 2021, euro area GDP have fallen, I think, again, slightly sharper than I think that was being expected. Um, but that leaves their GDP around 5.5% lower than pre-pandemic. Um, US GDP seen an increase, I think, partly because of the, um, the stimulus around um, that Biden's introduced. So their um, GDP is 1% lower than pre-pandemic. And yet the UK is 9% lower than pre-pandemic. And I think that that is not really a story that's brought out very clearly. You have to kind of put the jigsaw pieces together to, um, to find that. Well, well I, think, I think you're right, Joe, because, you know, I, I use the word boom advisedly um, and quite deliberately because we're being the projection from this and from what the government is saying too is hallelujah, we're in boom times. And you've got to forget, you've got to remember that uh, the old boom bust cycle, and this is a particularly um, uh, uh, truncated boom bust cycle where we had the bust, which was the biggest since the great frost of 1709 last year. And now we've got uh, the biggest boom since either 1948 or 1941. You've mm. got to look at the whole, look at the thing in the round. Um, uh, they also, of course, in, in these minutes, uh, talk about unemployment. And again, Joe has a, a point about this where they seem to be sort of bizarrely content that unemployment will, will peak at a mere 5.5% in the autumn of this year. Um, and, and somehow that seems to be messaging, being messaged as, well, that's all right. And because we thought it was going to be 7.5%. Yeah. So isn't it going well? But it's still five point five percent. It's a lot of people. And as well, you know, we've still got the um, the the other um, stat that they acknowledge is that the coronavirus job retention scheme furlough, um, as we would we would know it, um, had covered I think four point eight million jobs in February on average, and that's twenty percent they're saying of the total number of private sector. Jobs, which is an enormous, and you know, we know that February was 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 one of the worst times, and we're starting to see now from figures released that the number of people on furlough is 
is decreasing. But even so, that's an awful long, long way. Um, and as you've made the point before, Nick, you know, the, the sad reality is that, that many of these people are unemployed, but they just don't know it yet. Um, Indeed. So we, we we need to kind of keep it keep an eye on that. And uh, you know, as we always say with the unemployment um, figures, there's there's quite a lot of uncertainty around how those are collected. And, and the Bank of England itself acknowledges that there isn't really a perfect measure of um, of, of assessing how many people are really um, uh, unemployed. So you know, take these take these numbers slightly with a with a, a degree of caution. What what is interesting though, Joe, is that um, you know. The the Bank of England, the government is focused on how well things are going right now, and 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 my I'm increasingly less interested in that. And you know what is driving my thinking and my concerns now is uh, you know we, we we've we're sort of through the threat threat of a complete collapse of the economy bit, because the government whether it thought it through. Um, uh, who knows uh, you know, whether they'll be judged to have thought it through. I'm not sure. But nonetheless, they threw enough money at the economy that actually, we, you know, it, it's, it's, it has undoubtedly been a good thing. Mm. Now we're through that phase. And now we're in the emergence phase. And what I am not getting is a coherent picture of how the heck um, the British economy is supposed to deal with the implications of the money that's been thrown at it. Now, we're going to go on and talk about the uh, the, the work that's going on to come up with a solution to the £6 billion worth of, of unpaid rent arrears. Yeah. Um, but what I do not see anywhere is what are we going to do with the £76 billion worth of debt that has landed on company balance sheets? And and in, in the in, form in, of the bounce back and bounce back, um, bounce back loans. loans, yeah. And and uh, there's a straw in the wind. Um, uh, Reuters published on Tuesday, I think this week, some statistics about Germany. Now, the German government has been phasing out the prohibition on insolvency filing since November mm-hmm. last year, and the uh, the waiver preventing filings uh, or preventing enforcement or preventing the requirement to file if you're insolvent finally ended on Monday. Now, already the number of proceedings being opened in anticipation of the end of that ban have been increasing. They increased by 30% in February and 37% in March. And these are cases, so we're not seeing that quite flowing through into actual insolvencies, hard kind of close the businesses, but we're seeing that rise. These are the kind of leading indicators, aren't they? That the, these are the leading indicators. The, systems, the system is different in Germany um, and you get a, a much, uh, it's a much longer process than it is getting into insolvency than it is here. So, you know, companies that could see the end of the protection coming and knew they weren't viable and, and also it being a much, a much more holistic um, uh, business preservation and, um, uh, insolvency system that we've got here and mm. um, companies quite sensibly were saying well we're not going to survive so we, we might as well start now and um, so that's just a straw in the wind and we will see what um what happens here but it's interesting then i think that i suppose that that kind of leads on i would say that kind of leads on quite nicely in a way to the, the insolvency um consultation on on rent that, yes. that we, we talk about because i suppose that 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 german 
case kind of like points to where we might end up yep. when when these measures um wind down is it worth just reminding ourselves what the what the current um measures are so we've got the moratorium on forfeiture of leases yes we've got the restrictions on landlords using the commercial rent um arrears recovery which is crawl i think you can pronounce yes. your, <laughs> that is okay <laughs> i yep. got that right and then the um statutory demand um you know the inability to to, to serve a statutory demand so those are the kind of main um main waivers yes. if you like in this context and yep. then then hallelujah the ministry of housing communities and local government on the uh 6th of april this year issued a call for evidence <clears throat> in the context of <clears throat> basically saying okay guys we have got this huge overhang of unpaid rent arrears <clears throat> at the moment we're planning to end um the all all of those protections, it's a withdraw those protections moment, isn't it? On, on the 30th of june Mm. So what are we going to do about it? And they gave the landlord community and the tenant community precisely a month to come up with some ideas. Uh, uh, so the um, uh, submission of evidence had to be in by 11.45 on the 4th of May. And lo and behold, that evening, uh, suddenly there was a splurge of um, announcements by interested parties. About and we picked up on one of those last week, didn't we? That was on some of the landlord um, yeah. proposals. Yeah. So, so what we've what we've got is um, the uh, the on the retail land landlord side, it's the British Property Federation, British Land and Land Securities are leading the charge, and what they're saying is. What we think the government should do is to create a framework, and it will need some sort of framework because otherwise some landlords won't play, yeah. where landlords will agree to freeze the rent arrears up to the March quarter and give the landlords and the tenants six months to find a solution, to work out whether it's a, a, a rent forgiveness or delayed 50, payments 50 or, or, yeah. or a, change in, a change in lease terms, whatever. And but it is strictly conditional, so the landlords say that there would be prompt payment of all rent and service of service charge obligations from and including the June quarter onwards. Mm -hmm. So that's what the landlords are saying, and hot on their heels, um, UK hospitality representing pubs and restaurant uh, tenants came out saying, "Well, we think that in the hospitality sector." that landlords should um, be forced to write off 50% of the rent unpaid for the, any period where a tenant was forced to close by the restrictions, and 25% of the rent for any period when restrictions applied and, and in some way affected trade. I say partial opening type. <clears throat> partial mm -hmm. opening. Um, so we'll see. Um, the government... Uh, I have looked at the call for evidence this morning. I can't see that it says anything about when the government is going to. No, I looked. <laughs> I looked for that. Well. I can't say. I mean, there's, although there's not much time, is there? I mean, well, really, that's what we're six, seven weeks away from. Well, I know, um, and of course, you know, from uh, from, and, and this is this comes feeds back into this this loop of this problem about scarring. Mm. scarring in the hospitality sector in particular a little bit in retail but much more in hospitality of you know how much longer are these are the people running these businesses supposed to remain 
optimistic and entrepreneurial when they don't know what's going to happen on the 30th of June. Yeah. You know, especially as on the on you know um, in a couple of weeks' time, everything's going to be open as per normal. Subject to social subject distancing. to social distancing, yeah. So, and from the twenty first of June, unless the government does something about it, all you know, all restrictions are off. Um, and so, um, the sooner the evidence has been, you know, mulled through by um, MHCLG, and a response has come out there, so at least some hint about what what is yeah. going to happen. I think they're going to be forced to roll the um, the prohibitions on. Because if it requires a legal framework, they'll never get it through Parliament in time. And and whether they can do it with secondary legislation, I don't know. Yeah, I'm I mean, it's, sure. it's interesting, isn't it? I think I'm, it's a little bit frustrating because, I mean, there's, there's it's always been, it's been obvious. So we had the original, it was meant to be the end of March, and it was, then it was extended, I think, towards the end of last year, it was extended. So this has been, a, we, we've known that this is a, yeah. this is a cliff edge um, yeah. coming for some time. So it would be... I mean, you perhaps hope. To be fair, the um, the consultation did put forward six options. So it wasn't a completely yes. blank piece of paper. There were there was some kind of framing around what yeah. where the government's thinking is going to be. So maybe there are there are some um, what do we call it oven ready plans? Is that the phrase? <laughs> I think um, it's quite popular um, that might be able to be to be pulled out. But you're right. I think you know by any stretch, um, the 30th of June is is looming. Quite quickly, yeah. Um, so so we'll, be, we'll, as as we keep saying, and we have done for a year or so, watch this space, watch space. <laughs> and we'll we'll see what um, what happens. We were going to mention briefly on the on the topic of unpaid rent arrears, uh, the shenanigans, Virgin, Virgin Active, Virgin Active, mm. where um, the uh, we've now had an update actually from Sky News this morning that it looks like the court will make a decision about that restructuring plan and the landlords attempt to, uh, to stop it. Uh, it's imminent, really. We're, we're thinking next week. Next week. Mm. next week. So I think we'll come back to it. But the clear hint is Virgin Active are, are repeating what they've said all through this. If you don't go with it and the court says no, we're going to go into administration and 2,000 jobs will be yeah. at risk. It's the usual brinkmanship, but it's in the hands of the court and we'll soon know. But, you know, the interesting thing about this is there are other companies looking with quite a lot of interest about how this is decided, because this will be one of those cases that starts to set a precedent. Um, so, Absolutely you know, anybody right. who's got got any of these kind of risks and, and with companies that are, are looking, so they've really struggled to survive, um, will want to be keeping a close eye yeah. on um, on the outcome of, yeah. of that. Uh, yeah. And, and shall we, Joe, quickly at this point before we get on to the C- CIPS um uh, data just touch on a really interesting development in terms of bank funding. Yes, yes, really interesting this because, because, because it's a, because it's a retail. Uh, it's a retail, so we're in about the rent piece here. The fashion brand Jules announced uh, it was well. The, I picked it up in the Retail Gazette on the sixth so yesterday. They have agreed a new funding facility, so they've refinanced their debt with an interest rate that is linked to their ESG performance. This is environmental, sustainability, and governance. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the bank, which I think was Barclays, um, are saying they thought this was a wonderful thing. Now, I think it's a wonderful thing because it, it, it creates um, a, a narrative about res- responsible stewardship of corporate activity. Mm-hmm. 
But I'm a desperately um, cynical observer of the way banks behave. And so it, what this tells me is that if companies that have got genuine ESG credentials and can and can and, and can actually prove that they're hitting their targets and it's not just sort of box ticking, they're going to be the winners and their interest rates will potentially be lower. Let's be serious. That means yeah, somewhere, um, else. somewhere else the rates are going to go up. And that's mm. so um I, and I mentioned this in a in a discussion with um, a whole Zoom call full of retail experts this morning, and there was the sharpest of intakes of breath when it dawned on people that maybe the whole the goalposts were shifting in terms yeah. of of bank funding of the retail sector, and of course it will spread elsewhere. It won't just be retail. And it's hard, you know. I think for for, for most companies, you know, I know that you're particularly interested in independent. Um, sector yes. and you know clearly it's harder you know this is a very very worthy and very noble but it does re- require a kind of level of bureaucracy um, yes. that very often isn't isn't available in 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 smaller yep. um in smaller retailers so yeah interesting again it would be it would be, it'd be interesting to see if that that develops to other other lenders and other retailers um nick should we um talk about the charter institute purchasing supply um, index it's, that it's came out proc- procurement, procurement sorry never, it's, it's, never mind me. never forgive mind me. We, we don't want our supply chain um, um, list, <laughs> listeners writing in, uh, <laughs> writing in. <laughs> get it right you know sorry. get it right anyway that, uh, on yesterday um the uh, cips published their monthly uh, it's, it's called the market cips index of purchasing managers um data and this is a again um for the supply our supply chain listeners uh, apologies but for others this is a weighted average of data that's collected every month on new orders output employment inventory levels and delivery times which is very interesting um and and this is a highly respected uh, index it does seem to reflect what's going on in the economy and they publish their um index for the, the UK service sector yesterday, and the index has gone up, it shot up from 56.3 in March to 61 mm. in April. It's the fastest rise since October 2013. Yeah, and, and, and again, for, for non-supply chain people, um, anything above 50 means there's growth in the sector. So 61 is quite good. <clears throat> but it was interesting that the uh, the commentary that came with this went on to to flag up that CIPS were worried about stretched supply chains. And they they basically said that any further progress uh, in this index, any further improvement, is dependent on, or is likely to be affected by stretched supply chains. And they say they threatened to put a break on the fast track to economic normality. It's interesting because my when you talk, we discussed this before just before we started recording and I said but you know the 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 tone from the MPC minutes on supply is actually acknowledges that there is a um there are still some issues but actually their outlook is that the supply um chain hasn't been affected as badly as they thought so that's kind of an interesting I mean maybe we could look in more detail about the, the timing and the um and the relative kind of period over which those um those assumptions are made but it is it's kind of interesting to see again there are 
there's a lot of nuance in in these um, in these forecasts, um, and actually reading into the detail um, yourself because I think the headlines are a bit misleading in terms of um, mm. the mainstream press. So actually delving down to some of the um, the detailed trade press and looking at the minutes themselves is, is actually quite quite worthwhile. Um, yes, I mean if, if if only Joe because it it, it impacts on. You know the theme that we have uh, we have repeated over and over again in the last sort of fourteen months, which is this is about confidence, yeah. and messaging impacts confidence. Yeah, and it it, you know, it, it impacts uh, investment, it, it impacts employment decisions, all sorts of things. You know, and so the messaging really really matters. And I, you know, my ongoing concern, I. I, I uh, at risk of butchering uh, a phrase by um, a comment by Alan Greenspan about stock markets um, some many years ago now in the States. Um, he talked about stock markets' irrational exuberance. I, I think there's a real risk at the moment that what we've got is some semi-irrational exuberance mm. about where the economy is going. Yeah, I mean, it has to be. I think that, that the the confidence has to be believable and i suppose that is some of sometimes the 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 rhetoric and then the the actual detail seem Mm. a bit a bit jarring so i think it is it's definitely worth i mean there is there's let's not make make no mistake about this there is positive signs but it's from a goodness me it's from a a low a low base well nick as always thank you very very much indeed for your um guidance through the the issues of the week and thanks thank you thanks everybody for listening until next time goodbye Thank you.